So let's get on with the sermon. So um, Jesus, I think about Jesus with the people. I think about our images of Jesus. You know, so we've had a lot of great sermons where we talked about faith and we've talked about, you know, perseverance under hard times. But you know what? We have to really think about what we think about when we think about Jesus. Because sometimes we, we get philosophical, we get like spiritual, we get like determined. But what are we all trying to be? We're trying to be Christians, right? Which means what? We're trying to be followers of Christ. So it's a really good thing to take a time to consider that. Often our vision or understanding of what Jesus is and what he looks like and what he was like, it can come from our family upbringing. It can come from our religious upbringing. It can come from our culture of our, of our, of our family and, and the religion that we grew up in and having. But if you think, I look up some images, like the, what I call the typical images of Jesus. If we go to the first one, this is one of the typical images of Jesus. How many of you had one of these on your wall in your house growing up? I did. Yeah. It was in all the classrooms. Don't put Jesus up there on that cross. Get him down. You know? I, and I used to think, oh, could I go through that? I, I actually, I, I grew up thinking, could I endure what he endured? I, I used to kind of contemplate that. I'm like, you know, that, that, that was one of my images of Jesus. And then we look at this next image of Jesus. And it's the, what I call the couldn't hurt a fly Jesus, which is he's holding on to a sheep standing in a field. He's the good shepherd. He's going to care for us. He's going to hold on to us. He's just going to love us and cuddle us, you know. And that's one image that a lot of people have of Jesus. The next one here is the miraculous Jesus, right? Standing there, there's all these storms. The water's calm around him. That's Peter coming out to him in the boat. And that's the miraculous Jesus, just his power and his might. And this is the one, the next one is the one that a lot of Irish Catholic people grew up with. (laughs) Harry remembers this. The sacred heart of Jesus. You're, you're painting his heart right now, you know. And he's got those infinity eyes that can follow you anywhere around the room, you know. No matter where you stand, you think he's looking at you and he's got his eye on you. And, you know, you, you just have these images of Jesus. And the strangest thing when I looked all of these images up is what's missing. What's missing from all of those images is his connection with people. Every single one of them, even with the the miraculous one in the boat, they're all over there and he's over here. There's this gap. So oftentimes we consider Jesus and we think of him as someone that's over there. He's, He's important, but he's not close. He's essential, but he's not accessible. You know, we need him, but we can't really get that close to him. And that's just not a true image of what Jesus was like at all. He was a person and a man and a being that had such a close connection with everyone that he was with that people just loved the opportunity to get close to him. He wasn't at a distance. He didn't have bodyguards. He didn't have an entourage keeping everybody away. He was right there in the crowd. And This is something where as I was studying it out, I came up with just three, there's other ones, but just three interactions with Jesus that I feel like show some really amazing things about Jesus. Caitlin calls him the cuddly Jesus. You know, 
we were talking about this sermon. He goes, that's, me and my friends, we call him the cuddly Jesus, where you just want to kind of cuddle and get some love from Jesus and get some encouragement and get a hug, you know. And, you, you know, you try to emotionally connect with God sometimes and see how awesome he is. Because oftentimes we thought we got this, like, God's way up here or maybe up here or maybe even way up here, and he's sort of like way over everybody, right? But that's not really what Jesus was like. He would right be in the middle of all of this. You know, they talk about us being a huggy fellowship. Where do you think that came from? Jesus, right? He, he was probably the master of all hugs. Probably gave some awesome hugs. Amen? So it, we're, we're going to look at a couple of different scriptures. So if you look in Luke chapter 19, I call this a warmly welcoming Jesus. So in Luke 19, and we're going to do some Bible studies. So those are the different scriptures we're going to look at under this point. In verse 2, so this is, you know, Far along in his ministry, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Jesus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Was Jesus warm and welcoming to him? If you look there in verse 5, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. Not just I must talk with you. Not just let's sit down. Not, I must come to your house. Now, if, someone, if you have someone over your house or if someone asks to come over to your house, that's going beyond any kind of just you know, casual interaction, right? They're becoming friends. They want to get into your life. They want to know you. And that was Jesus. He wanted to know Zacchaeus. He was so warm, so endearing, and so open to him. But Zacchaeus, didn't he take a big chance? He's a chief tax collector. He's a big, well, he was a small man, but he was a big person in the town, right? And he's he climbing up on a tree to get a chance to see him. What made him be willing to take such a risk? Well, guess what? This is Luke 19. There's been many chapters of interactions, and news probably traveled. So I want to look at a couple other times where Jesus interacted with individuals that were tax collectors. So look in um, Luke chapter, I mean, sorry, Mark chapter 2, because as we see, he took a big risk, or did he? You know, it sounds like he must have known enough about Jesus to really want to see him, right? Because he was willing to do a lot. He had a, he had a pretty clear picture of what Jesus might be like, you know? I don't think his confidence was misplaced. Was his willingness to take a risk misplaced? Not at all, right? You know, he was so excited to see Jesus, and Jesus was so excited to see him. You know, you know, you got to think about what may have motivated him to take such a potentially embarrassing risk. And I call it, let's get the 411 on Jesus and tax collectors. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went outside by the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. 
As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting where? At the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many, who? Tax collectors and sinners, right, were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Do you know, Levi, what he's more popularly called? Matthew. Do you know what Levi wrote? The Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was written by this guy. Jesus reached out and befriended somebody that was shunned by so many people and drew him to follow him. And he became an incredible promulgator of the faith. Amen? But he cared enough to not let the situation dictate how he's going to react. He cared enough to care about the person more than the problems that might come from reaching out to the person. He wanted to make a difference in people's lives. Amen? You know? So this is Levi, a.k.a. Matthew, right? Word gets around. I mean, Jesus likes tax collectors. I'm a tax collector. Maybe Jesus is going to like me. You know, maybe he's going to be my friend. You know, he knew, such, he knew some of this stuff. Word gets around. There's probably the tax collector network. You know? There used to be the telephone. There used to be the telesister. Then there was the telebrother. That is Facebook, Instagram. Not Snapchat, right, because that goes away. Isn't that the one that goes away? I think so, right? Anyway, but not that. But I'm just saying, now there's all these communication networks out there, but there was probably the, the, the tele-tax collector network out there. The word got around. Jesus, he, he cares about us. He wants to be our friend. You know? If you're not sure today how Jesus would react to you, you need to get into the Bible because he would get close to you. He would want to be your friend. He would want to draw you in. He's not some far-off person. He wants to get close. I had to get past that. I really grew up with that sacred heart of Jesus, you know, that Jesus on the wall. I, that's, I didn't have a – I used to kind of imagine imitating him, but I never thought I'd be like friends. But when I finally understood what Christianity was about, I was just blown away by the love and sacrifice. So, you know, Jesus called them and he ate with them. The next thing is Jesus searched for them. Luke 15, which is shortly before Luke 19, Luke 15 says in verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners, see who was with them again, were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who do not need to repent, as if anybody doesn't need to repent, right? We all need to repent. What's the point that he's making? He was excited to be at the table with those people that the other people were muttering about because they're being drawn to Jesus. They're being drawn into a righteous relationship, into a friendship, into a fellowship that was going to change their lives. And as men and women today, we need to let ourselves be drawn into that. We need to feel that magnetic pull of his personality. We need to feel the love and care and concern. We don't need to let 
the, the conventionality of, oh, I'm cool. Yeah, okay. We don't need to let that be what drives us. We don't need to be so staged. We need to be able to be moved. We need to be able to be motivated. Amen? Jesus searched for them. He went out of his way for them. I bet you that word spread rapidly. You know, it's obvious that Zacchaeus had already made some decisions, right? Because he's like, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. Here and now I give back four times whatever I've stolen from anybody. Those are some big decisions, right? I mean, you don't just make those sitting on a sycamore fig tree branch. Man, he's calling me. I better come up with some decisions. I don't think that was what it was about. I think it was about I'm prepared to change the way I'm living my life, and I want to get close to Jesus. Amen? So we need to be so grateful, and we need to be the men and women that take the risk and step outside of our box and get close to Jesus in the way these people were willing to. Amen? Even as Christians, we need to grow in our understanding. We can't be like, oh, I got right with God. I'm kind of cool in my relationship with him. We need to actually be like, I want to grow in my relationship with him. I want to get closer. I want to get a better understanding. I want to become more bonded with him. I want to grow up into the head. Isn't that the goal? Do you want to be a pinky for your whole Christian life? Well, I'm attached, but I don't want to grow up. I just want to, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid, right? I, I, we, we have that I don't want to grow up mentality. In Christ, you can't have that I don't want to grow up mentality. You've got to have, I want to become an elbow. I want to become a shoulder. I want to help more and more people. I want to have more people that are attached to me, that are attached to Christ, that are attached to the head. I want to become like Christ in my mind and in my heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the next Jesus that I want us to look at, the next image, is a respectfully protective Jesus. So this is John chapter 8, a respectfully protective Jesus. So the first one was the warmly welcoming Jesus. This is respectfully protective. John chapter 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded such women to be stoned. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down on the ground and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first one to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who had heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. In the reality here, Jesus didn't just protect her in one way. He protected her in two ways. Now, he could have probably come up with an answer that would have sent them away, but might not have really helped out this woman, right? But he came up with a way to deal with the situation that protected her. I'm going to show you the two ways he protected her. See, Jesus wants to protect us. The question is, are we willing to let him protect us? She was very vulnerable, right? She could have been tempted to feel like, where's the guy in this situation? This didn't happen by myself, you know? 
They made her stand up. Imagine, she probably wanted to curl up into a ball. But they made her stand up in front of everybody. What did Jesus do? He stooped down on the ground. He wasn't looking. He said, I'm stooping down on the ground. There's theories about what he was writing. Some people think it's the Ten Commandments. Some think it was like Joe and his sins and, you know, Esposito and all his sins, you know. You know, he was listing out everybody's sins. We don't know what he was writing, but he was writing something. And whatever he was writing was making them feel very uncomfortable. So what happened? He protected her because did she get attacked? No. Did anybody even remain to accuse her any longer? No. See, Satan wants to accuse you and put you in a situation where you're like, oh, I'm, I'm done now. There's just no hope for me. And that's just not true. And this was a pretty bad situation, right? It's like, Jesus is pretty wise. Because legalistically, there was Old Testament guidelines how to handle this, right? Jesus brought in mercy and grace instead of judgment and, you know, desolation that could have fallen on it. He protected her from the men. Guess what he also protected her from? Satan's schemes. Guys, sin is not how God meant for any of us to live. See, he protected her from the, 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 what the men could have done to her. But what did he tell her at the very end? Go now and leave your life of sin. He said, I saved you from this situation, but now I'm trying to save you from a worse situation, which is what Satan wants to do with you. Satan wants to take you down a road that will destroy you. He wants to ruin your life with sin. He wants to ruin our lives with sin. We have to understand that when, he's, when we're being hemmed in, and when things are happening and stuff's going down and we're feeling the, all of that stuff coming at us and it's pushing us away from stuff that we know we shouldn't be involved in, it's actually God acting to try to protect us from stuff that's bad for us. You know? He told her to leave it. You guys ever feel like you've dodged the bullet? You ever feel like there was something that should have happened to you and it didn't happen? You know, a situation where life just turned out way better than you expect it to? If we ever dodged the bullet, it was meant to save us so that we could repent. In 2 Peter chapter 3, this is where Peter talks about the patience of God. But do not forget this one thing, my dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day, right? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. If you've ever felt like that thing that just happened should have taken my life and it didn't, the Lord's patient with you. Before I became a Christian, I could look back and see the things. There are times where I did some stuff that I should be dead. I think God even intervened with the basic laws of physics once and changed what should have happened to me in a car so that I'm here today. Because I'm like, man... That was the stupidest thing I ever did. We did Dukes of Hazard in Bayonne, New Jersey. Me and my cousin, the Dodge Plymouth Duster, jumping over. If you've ever been to Bayonne, New Jersey, there's the industrial side and there's the residential side. And there's a big arched bridge that goes across the railroad tracks. And we decided to wait for the light to turn green on Avenue E. We're playing Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run. He did get all four in the air. We never looked at what's on the other side. There was a building with a brick wall and a 90-degree turn one block down. We were both looking at each other. But you're in the air at that point. You're committed. <laughs> I'm still here. Thank God. 
I teach my students about the basic laws of physics using that problem because I teach them the curvature of the bridge and how fast we're going. And the only thing keeping you down is the acceleration due to gravity. If your centripetal acceleration exceeds your acceleration due to gravity, you're off the you're off the road. I was in the air. All I'm saying is I'm here, and at that moment I wasn't so sure I was going to be here. God works in our lives to bring us to repentance. Amen. So He is a respectfully protective person. He cares about us, but he wants us to not get taken away by sin. He doesn't want us to be destroyed by the world around us. He doesn't want us to be taken captive and eaten up and chewed up by Satan. He wants to pull us out of it. So he saved her from some stuff, but he said, go and leave your life of sin. For us here today, God would do the same thing. Jesus would say to us the things that would protect us, but then he would tell us the things that would save us. Amen? So the last part that I wanted us to talk about is what I call a confident character. You know, Jesus was pretty confident, right? I want to show you how confident he was. In Matthew chapter 4, now Jesus grew up being what kind of a person? What was his profession as he grew up? Carpenter, right? So he was a woodworker. He's probably a brawny guy. He probably could make just about anything with his hands, build stuff cut stuff down, shape stuff up. Well, look what he talks about to these guys. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Think about that. These guys are fishermen. He's a carpenter. This would be like me going to Nehemiah's job Man, I'll tell you how to write protocols for city group. I'm a teacher. I never worked in the corporate world at all. But I'm going to teach you how to set your office up and how to tell the banks to deal with you. And everything. And he's going to be like, what? You don't know diddly about what I do for a living. He built houses and stuff like that. And he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Real play on words, right? At once they left their nets. We know this isn't some magic spell. If you read the earlier parts of Matthew, they'd spent time with him before. So this isn't like, this isn't like he hypnotized them, okay, Ramon? He didn't do that, okay? They, they at once left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two older brothers, James and the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Fishers of men. That's a pretty bold statement to make, right? These are fishermen. I mean, in my neighborhood, there was the All-Ireland football competition. And Mayo, my parents' home county, was in it. And the other county that was in it was Dublin. So they played, they played, the, they played the championship two weeks ago. It was a tie, 15-15. This is soccer combined with rugby. They score a lot of goals. It's not like we watched the other night, 90 minutes. It's like they scored one goal? Okay, anyway, 15 points. But it was a tie. So guess what? They had to replay it. So... There's this curse out there that says Mayo will never win it until every player on the last team that won it 70 years ago passes away. There's still a few guys breathing. So they wind up losing the second playoff by one point. But the whole point was in the town, in the little neighborhood of Woodlawn, there's all these Mayo flags out on houses, and there's all these Dublin flags out on houses. They call Dublin calls the boys in blue. There's all these blue flags out on houses and all these Mayo flags out on houses because there's this real rivalry going on, you know? 
and it didn't get physical, but it got confident. You know, right now, everyone that was a Mayo supporter won't take their flags down because it would look like we were beaten, right? So everyone's Mayo flags are still up even though we lost. But the point being that there is a certain cockiness about that. And this is the way Jesus was. Jesus was certainly confident that what he could do for these guys was transformative. What he could do with them in their lives was going to make a difference. And didn't they go out and become these fishers of men? Didn't they go out and change the world? See, Jesus had a confident character. And he wasn't afraid to be that confident that I can change your life. I can make you a different person. I can make you make a difference in the lives of so many people. Even the second group, who were the second brothers with that would have been even harder? They were their father. You know? He didn't even hesitate there. He knew what he was calling them to was so important that I am going to even call you, even though your dad's right there. This is, it's just that, I'm that confident that what I'm talking to you about is that important, that it makes that much difference, that I can't even kind of, kind of give into the situation of who's with you right now. I need to help you. I need you to be with me. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, like, um, you know, think about this. Eventually, Peter even had his wife become a Christian. In 1 Corinthians 9, it says Peter was able to take along his believing wife. So he left everything, right? If you think about leaving everything, your wife might get kind of mad at you, right? Think about that. But eventually, what did she become? A follower of Jesus. You know, James and John, they became known as the sons of thunder, right? So these guys became very powerful and outspoken people. You know, for us, are we going to let the confidence that Jesus can express to us really draw us into taking some steps to become more of what he sees us being? Do we have to be men and women that are able to be called forward by Christ? We don't just need to be happy to be here. We need to be like, man, I want God to keep using me. I want to be used by God. I want to be used in amazing ways. I mean, if you ever talk to Bill, Bill has these dates. He calls them, I'm praying for an evangelism date, bro. So it's called an evangelism date. And his prayer specifically is on that date that he'll meet an open person that wants to come to church. And he'll pray before the date. He'll pray when he picks up the sister for the date. And then when he meets the person, he tells the person, I was on an evangelism date. And how many times has this happened? Like three or four different times you've had these six different times now. He's met people on these dates that have come out to church. Isn't that amazing? And I think a couple of them are actually eagerly studying the word. Maybe they didn't want to become a Christian yet. But they're coming out to church. But that's a bold, confident position to take, right? You see, that's the way we need to think ourselves. You know, we, we sent this mailing out to the whole city of Pelham. 5,000 houses we mailed an invitation to for church. Now, if they all show up, whoo! But we have an email. for Kevin, Kevin Davis was willing to, to field all these emails. I was like, amen, bro. Thanks for retiring. So he's fielding all these emails. But who knows what might come out of this. But that's outside-the-box thinking. We saw a church do it, and we're like, no one in our fellowship's ever done it. But let's try it. If it works, we'll do it again. If it doesn't work, what's the harm? We, we, we put ourselves out there, right? But, you know, the thing is, we got to try stuff. And we got to just not be so like, well, no one's ever done it before. That doesn't mean anything. And who knows? No one did what Jesus did before either, and yet he changed the world. We need to be men and women that have that trust that if we just step out on faith. I don't think anyone really had this 
Bill was the first one I ever talked about here in evangelism dates. I was like, that, that's different. I was like, how does that work? You go out and, and meet us. Just, I don't understand how that works. When he said evangelism, I was like, how does that work? Anyway, but my point is, is that it's just a bold and faithful, confident step for God. And that's what we need to be able to make. These men, when they followed Jesus, they took a bold and confident step in following him. If you're here and you're being drawn in that direction, take those steps. Don't stand there and wonder what if. Go and see what will happen. Don't wonder what could happen. You know, you know how will you respond today? You know, all of us, even the brothers and sisters, we can't be just confident. Oh, I'm right with God. And this doesn't need to move me. This needs to move all of us. This needs to encourage all of us. Are you willing to take a risk to get to know Jesus? Are you willing to be vulnerable like the woman was and even look ugly to him? Are you willing to let him lead you and see where he can take you? You know, there were always detractors. Even that every time somebody went and followed Jesus, who was right there? The mutterers, right? Mutter, 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 you know? Detractor, detractor, detractor. There's always these people. Who are you going to listen to? You need to understand that they're out there, but you can't let them dictate what you're going to do. Amen? So as we take this time to think, I just want you to have an understanding that even in your own study of the Gospels, you can catch visions of Jesus that can really help you grow in your understanding of him. Because you know where he would be? He'd be right in the middle of this. He wouldn't be up here, far away from everybody. He'd be right in the middle. And when people come to church with us at first, like, man, you're a huggy fellowship. Right? You know what? I think Jesus would be throwing the biggest hug. You know? And he'd be loving up on everybody the most. And he'd be over every one of your houses. He'd be down in the children's ministry. He'd be every single place that there was people for him to encourage is where he'd be. So you see, that's what we need to envision and understand. Us, you know, we need to be a loving, caring, concerned fellowship. When friends come out to visit with us, it doesn't even matter if you don't know them yet. Go say hi to them. Don't be like, I don't know them. So what? Someone didn't know them before they came to church in the first place. (laughs) Go and become their friend. Encourage them. I know I was, first time I came out of church like this, I was blown away. People taking notes. They're singing. They're talking. They're not rushing out the door. I used to have to think that the, the minister of the church that I grew up in had to have eight arms because there were so many people going out. And he was like trying to shake everybody's arm and hand on the way out. The peace of the Lord be with you. And he'd be like sticking out all his limbs to slow them down because they'd be racing out the door. You know, that's not what it's like here, right? People are like sticking around to talk. I was blown away by that. We need to be remembering what that's like and be that way for the people to come out and visit with us. Encourage them. Become their friends. Amen? So I hope you have a good idea and you grew in your understanding of Jesus. Amen.